Jerry out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. We're going to talk about things and stuff and concepts, but mostly a book this time, because I'm here with my fellow Holocron reader, Ross. Mac, we are going to dive deep into one of Revan's old holocrons to find some answers about the history of the Sith. We are going to learn lots of dark and spooky things as we talk about... Darth Bane, Path of Destruction, the first novel in the Darth Bane trilogy of legends. We dig into the origins of the man who created the Rule of Two, which ruled the Sith until their end in Rise of Skywalker, and how it has shaped galactic politics. But we start with the trauma of one person, one man who is destined to become one of the most evil and reviled and feared people in all of the galaxy. And tonight, we will go into the first third of his story in heavy spoilers right after this. As we mentioned, we're going deep diving into another book, a novel. Um, it's your last chance for spoilers. You know what? I just said it, but I can't. What's the name of it again? I, every When I hear Darth Bane, I'm like, rule of two. No, that's the second book. The first book is rule of one. No, no. <laughs> uh, Path of Destruction. Yes, Path, path of Destruction. Path of Destruction, right? And boy, is it one destructive path. Wow. <laughs> boy, just... just Oh, everything in his way, pushing it left, pushing it right, just oh, leaving everything in ruin in his wake. It is uh, it is not a fun ride for anybody who crosses him. He's got a good name in Bane. He's a baneful person. <laughs> so it's been a while since we've talked about Darth Bane. Uh, in fact, all the way back, if my memory serves, to episode nine, Mac. Dang. A long, long time ago, so well beyond our year threshold, and um, with all the all the, uh, hmm. it's it's time to revisit. It, it's it. time to revisit. There's lots of talk about some of these ancient Sith being brought back into canon now with uh, Knights of the Old Republic remake mm-hmm. getting announced officially. Uh, obviously, Revan and Malak will be back in the limelight more than ever, and so Darth Bane is a Sith who follows them up. Um, many, many years later, Darth Bane is famous for starting the Rule of Two. But we are going today well, talk about his origins and his first story. So, uh, Mac... And, and the craziest thing is, if you're listening to this, this is also going to be... This was originally published in 2006. Yes. So that makes this the 15th anniversary of this book, which was published in September. Boy... It doesn't feel like it's been around that long, but this has been a a series that has been part of Star Wars for a while now, and this first book especially has a huge following still to this day. There are still a lot of people who love it and uh, hold this book in uh, very close regard. 
Uh, they they have a lot of emotion for it and a lot of uh you know nostalgia tied up mm-hmm. in it as well. I mean, this book is a big part of Star Wars for a lot of people. And that's another reason why we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And my other programming note is if you like what you're hearing or you want to read more, feel free to stop whenever you want because this book is easy to get. It has been recently republished mm-hmm. yes. under the Essential Legacies collection. So. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So not only that, but you can find many, many mass market paperbacks out and about there at your used bookstores as well. So if you want mm-hmm. to uh, get a good book easily, this one should be able to be found. Now, Mac, we're going to talk about the entire book today. Yep. It's been a while since we've done a book, but I think we'll go through it kind of in chunks. Like, we'll start with, uh, you know, the first part of the book, like, which which kind of contains his early life, and then the middle part of the book, which talks about his training, and then the end of the book, which talks about sort of his rise to Lord. Right. Okay? And kind okay. of the end of the beginning of his journey. Okay? Sounds like a plan. All right. So, to set the stage here... You know, um, I think it's, uh, I don't have the timeline in front of me, but it's more than hundreds of years ago. Like the Sith and the Jedi have been at war for a long time now on and off. There have been times where the Sith are uh, hidden from the Jedi across the galaxy. There are times when, uh, obviously with the start of Revan and Malak's resurgence against the Jedi and the Republic, you know, that was when those Sith were revealed to the galaxy. And since then, many Sith have fought amongst themselves, as well as amongst the yet a Jedi, mm-hmm. to try and take over the galaxy, to try and overtake the Republic. And now we open up here on the book with a little prologue with Lord Khan, the leader of the Brotherhood of Darkness, who has just led his Brotherhood of Darkness in retaking Korriban, one of the early homeworlds of the Sith. And on this homeworld, they will build an academy where they will train all of their new Sith Lords who will all work together with one single goal to defeat the Republic. Because basically the timeline in Legends. Yes. Again, this is all all legends, all asterisk from here on out because they yeah. may or may not reuse these elements they haven't touched on in canon yet. Of course. Yes. But um, to put it in perspective, essentially... Um, Thousands of years ago, it was with the Great Hyperspace War, where yes. the Sith Empire uh, basically had its foothold of Korriban, and we realized about the Sith. The Sith and the Jedi have been fighting ever since. So that's your Nagasados and mm-hmm. uh, the like. And then, um, basically, we have the Knights of the Republic era, which is exactly 4,000 years ago, where they're they're brawling. About um, 3,000 years ago is when we have the Old Republic MORPG, yes. in which case the Sith kind of try to truly invade the Republic yes. space. Yes. Um, and things don't go all that great. And so by the time we enter Darth Bane's era, um, we've already had a thing called the Russian uh, Reformations, which is yes. essentially where... When Yoda talks for a thousand generations, the Jedi have been, that's the era he's talking about. The current incarnation of the Jedi that we see in the High Republic and in the prequels is the the Jedi as an organization as they reformed 2,000 years ago. And about halfway between our current day and there, a thousand years before, is the era of Darth Bane, where the Sith are just tired of losing. They've made their greatest pushes in their history, and there has to be some other way. And they get more clever than they get, you know, less brute force, more cleverness is where we set the stage of how they're going to fight on. For generations and generations, the Sith have had some success, but ultimately fall into infighting. Mm -hmm. And... 
here we have the story about how they will eliminate that weakness. Yes. <laughs> so let's dive into it. Okay. All right. So we open up a few years after the Brotherhood of Darkness has made their, um, shall we say, the start of their campaign across the galaxy. Right. They have taken planets from the Republic. The Republic has taken uh, territory from them and the war rages on. Now, we start off focusing on a, uh, you know, young man, like, you know, in his, like, you know, late 20s, 30s, like a, like an older person, but, uh, you know, someone who is, shall we say, fully formed. Seasoned. Yes. Dessel. So, on Apatros, the planet, he works in the Cortosis mines for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. His father also worked in the mines. So, they are essentially, uh, I think... Slave mines, but essentially more like indentured servants. So they're trying to work off their debt. And because uh, Des, as we'll call him throughout here, throughout yeah. the rest here, uh, because Des's father was uh, essentially had so much debt to this mining company, he is trying to work off that debt. And when Des's father died of a heart attack, he inherited the debt from his father. Right. And this whole place is very like... um company mine town it's very rough working conditions not necessarily totally inhumane but very very difficult very very ugly and again everything is legal but it's basically slave mines like you said and and his father was also abusive an alcoholic just a terrible person Dess's life has been awful yes 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 as we go throughout the story we get sort of almost like flashbacks more like you know throughout dreams or visions or memories of his father, but essentially being very abusive and being very much an alcoholic. Uh, and that is something that forms Dez's personality. Dez is a very uh, big, strong person, both from working in the mines, but, you know, he's, he's got a big, strong stature, very muscular, uh, very fit, a uh, distinct bald head, gleaming head. Mm-hmm. And early on here in the story, we see Dez's force as well. He gets in a fight. With another miner, he ends up blinding him and uh, ends up getting sent back home early for the day, unable to finish his shift. And uh, so he heads to the local watering hole. Mm. This is where we start to get a sense of some of Dez's personality. We see that uh, not only is he a gambler, right, Mm -hmm. trying to get some wages here to uh, pay off his and his father's debt sooner, but we also see that he has a little bit of a gift here where he can essentially sense things before they happen. He has forethought. He can uh, sort of read people's emotions from afar. And of course, we recognize all of these things as being force sensitive. But Des just treats them as, a, you know, a, an, an instinct, a skill. Right. And unfortunately, since pod racing isn't available to him, he goes to the next gambling thing of he uses this to sense what cards are coming up in Sabak. Absolutely. And uh, he is playing not just against some locals, but also some Republic soldiers who have made birth here for the night mm-hmm. and uh, are also tying one on, as it were. At the local cantina. And so as the night goes on, Des plays on, he continues to win big, and the soldiers are none too happy as he continues to take their money. Mm-hmm. So since they try to start something unsuccessfully in the bar, as Des makes his way home that night, they attack him. Right. They jump him. And this is another instance of his force ability. He's able to fight them off, even though they do have weapons and he is unarmed. And he does actually end up killing one of them. Mm. 
And this is the first time we see him start to uh, waver towards the dark side a little bit. You know, he was attacked. He was outnumbered. It wasn't really his fault. It was completely self-defense. But he knows that it's unlikely the authorities will see it that way. These were Republic soldiers. They're the good guys. They're the, you know, they're trustworthy. They wouldn't do anything like this. If one of them was murdered, it must be in cold blood. Yeah, especially if they're drunk and and jerks and, uh, you know, mad about a card game they probably shouldn't be involved in. Exactly. So it's at this point that Dez heads back to the bar and meets with his friend, the bartender, Groshik. And they basically sit down and they drink together and Dez explains what happens. And Groshik basically says, well, I can get you out of here, but are you sure that's the life you want to live? Are you sure you want to... Make this choice. You'll be on the run. You'll be serving the Sith. You'll be, you know, it's a tough life. Are you sure this is the move you want to make? As a Tobias Beckett would say later, he would just say, once you choose this life, it's yours forever. You're stuck here. <laughs> Des agrees after drinking a few things off the top shelf and leaves the planet knowing he'll never see his friend again. Uh, and we pick up with Dez actually a year later. He is now enlisted into the Sith Infantry. He leads a team of uh, pseudo-special forces against Republic strongholds called the Gloomwalkers, mm-hmm. and uh, he is essentially second in command. He's sort of uh, kind of boots on the ground in command of his unit, and they all look up to him. They trust him. He's been able to do incredible things during his time in service. And uh, as we'll learn, all of that is due to his force abilities. So they are on a mission trying to, um, let's see here. Do I have the name of the planet written down? Uh, Don't have the name of the planet written down, but essentially they're on a mission here. And Dez is ordered to take a enemy stronghold Mm -hmm. during, um, Uh, basically in unfavorable conditions. And Dez disobeys orders, knocking out his commander, Commander Olabar, and basically leaving him tied up at camp with just a few guards to watch him while he takes the rest of his men to essentially overtake the enemy camp. Uh, Fensira. Fensira, thank you. When they arrive at the camp, there is essentially an unwinnable situation, a situation where uh, they need to take out a certain amount of men before they can man the powerful defense turrets that will essentially cut them all down. Mm -hmm. And no one seems to be able to make the shots. They can take out a couple of guards, but there's no way they'll be able to get to them all. And before he even realizes what's happening, Des grabs the rifle and is taking shots And before the first one even hits the ground, he's on to the next. Mm -hmm. And using his ability, um, as he describes it, essentially losing his sight for a moment. Everything becomes a blur. And he just acts on instinct, I think, if I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, Really, really good stuff here. I mean, really early on, you really feel the character. You feel that he understands he has power, but he obviously doesn't know how to control it. And, you know, when we see um, a character like this from the dark side perspective, who is, you know, um, grew up really tough, hard life, you know, an abused child on essentially a slave planet, right? Mm -hmm. A child who is conscripted into an army that is fighting for the side that, you know, we view as evil. Um, You know, you have this guy who he's not really... I mean, he's violent, he's rough, but he doesn't necessarily have evil tendencies. He just wants to succeed. He just wants to have a successful mission. You know, he's just a soldier like anybody else. 
And so when his uh, vision returns to him and he realizes yeah. he's been able to take out all of the opposition. Well, that's the whole thing is he has won against these over opposing forces. Somehow in the carnage, he has just dismantled them and led his men on all the right ro- routes to just completely destroy this. Of course, there's one problem with it, though. Yeah. He still uh, was an insubordinate who knocked out his commanding officer. And the Sith only really have one uh, punishment for that. So as soon as he's, like, accepted his victory, he gets arrested. (laughs) Yeah, they successfully head back to camp after a... um, Well, excuse me. They head back to camp after a successful outing, a successful mission. And immediately, Olabor attacks Dez and they lock him up for days. He is left without food or water. Mm-hmm. inside of a cage and it is not until through his delirium that he sees a cloaked figure with a raspy voice through his cell doors and uh the last thing he hears before he loses consciousness is put him on my ship mm-hmm. and that is the end of dez's um let's call it early life well his life is dez well, that's fair because the next time we meet him, uh, Bane will be a completely different person. So they head to Korriban. Bane is allowed to get clean and is fed and taken to his transport. And at this point, basically, he's going to be shipped off to the Sith Academy in Korriban. Absolutely. Sorry, I thought I missed something for a second. I didn't, uh, but I didn't. We're all good. You're good. Uh, so when Bane arrives, he realizes for the first time he can feel that same energy that he feels inside him emanating from the planet. Uh, he goes deep into an underground temple. He Well, he's led into an underground temple where he eventually meets Lord Kopez, who is a uh, Twi'lek member of the Brotherhood. And Kopez asks him a series of questions and then eventually offers Dez the chance to leave his old life behind and join the Brotherhood of Darkness. Des thinks about it and then realizes relying on himself is the only option and leaves his friends behind by accepting. Mm -hmm. This is where he takes the name Bane. He basically realizes that no one else will take care of him. Bane is the name that his father called him when he was being abusive, and Mm -hmm. he takes it uh, for his own now, being in control of it, you know, not wanting to uh, live up to his father's uh, spite. And we see that the end of this first part of the story ends with Kopez going to Cordis, who is the master of the temple on Korriban, and basically says that, hey, Dez is going to start training because even though he's old and even though he has no experience, we believe that this guy has some incredible power and he could even potentially be the Sith Ari, as they call it. Now... For all intents and purposes, because they don't really talk about it here, but they do talk about it later in the novel, so we'll talk about it for a moment. This is essentially the equivalent of the Chosen One prophecy from the dark side perspective. The Sith Ari, uh, as they describe it, is essentially an all-powerful Sith Lord who will lead them to victory. That's Mm. kind of their interpretation of. And they believe that Dez uh, has that potential, that underlying power. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is, as we said, the end of part one of the book. So, Mac, before we move on, yeah. thoughts so far? We got to meet our character here. We learn a little bit about him. We learn about his childhood. You know, we see that he is willing to defend himself, but outside of that is not necessarily a person uh, looking for violence, seeking it out. 
Well, this is the time where we, you know, you basically have to do this anytime you write from the villain's perspective. Um, I mean, to be honest, Darth Maul, Shadowhunter and stuff started out with a similar thing of like, here is this person whose circumstances have been really rough and this is why they're going down a dark road. Feel bad for them. Because you don't want to read a whole book about a person who, like, yeah, since age two, they've just been, you know, snapping the vertebrae of small animals because they're a sociopath. You're not going to really get a whole lot of buy-in. So with the abuse of his father and just the terrible circumstances he's in, we really understand why this person is destined to become a Sith Lord. Why this person is destined to be overwhelmed by these childhood traumas and become a monster. Absolutely. And of course, there is whenever you have a child who would be picked up by the dark side of the force, you always have the uh, uh, that little bit in the back of your mind going, well, what would happen if this person was found by the Jedi? What would happen if this person was found at a young age and brought to Coruscant? You know, mm-hmm. that, of course, that is always the question to ask, because that's what happened with Anakin. Right. And that will always be the ever the everlasting question of what would things have been different? And most likely they would have been. And again, it's a nice dark reflection of, like you said, sort of Anakin's story. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, talking about this being written in 2006, I'm sure that is on very much on purpose. Yeah, this is pen to paper, like once like uh, Re- Re- um, Revenge of the Sith is just coming out. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, let's dive into part two. This starts off with uh, chapter nine. So. It does pick up right away, no time jump. The next day, Bane starts his training with Lord Cordis. He is informed that there are many academies, but this one on Korriban is where students who are expected to become Sith Lords are sent. Basically, the students with the highest potential, the best of the best. Bane is worried that he's left behind, but quickly realizes that once he practices his skills, he will have no equals among his peers here. So very quickly, early on, Bane is realizing the power he has. As soon as he's learning to harness it, he's very quickly picking up on things. Right, and his fellow students are getting frustrated because he's the new guy, and he's already starting to do better at them and get things faster than them and understand what's going on quicker than they can. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So he practices, practices for weeks, and he does something that's unique. He also spends a lot of time studying in the library, which is something that other students don't take the time to do. They Mm -hmm. basically believe that they can learn the best hands-on from the current masters here, and that anything that masters from the past would have to offer wouldn't be of value to them because it's old information, it's outdated. In fact, even people in the Brotherhood believe, like Khan and Cordis, that essentially they are forging a new path for the Sith, that the ways of it's, old are no longer the ways. Yeah, it's worth keeping this stuff in this dusty library, but like that's about it. It's a museum. Yeah, just in case. Just as a backup. Just so that a student can come here and fulfill destiny by reading about ancient Sith magics. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> it only takes weeks before Bane is moving things with his mind. Now, meanwhile, Lord Khan, the leader of the Brotherhood, leads the Sith in space combat again, uh, during the Battle of Rusan. They're fighting the Jedi and the Republic. So at first, they're able to catch their enemy off guard and believe they will annihilate them. But after a few minutes, the Republic gathers itself and mounts a fight. Khan realizes there is a Jedi Master using battle meditation the same way he is. So he orders... Uh, Lord Copez to fly into the hangar of the Republic ship and Copez basically makes his way through the ship, slaughtering everyone, including the uh, meditating Jedi on the bridge. 
mm. and basically ending the battle above Rusan. And this is the first time we hear about it here at the beginning of part two, but this battle of Rusan will continue to be a thread throughout the entire book. And it'll be a very important part of the story as we go through. So this mm -hmm. is where it starts. Now, Bane continues to train for months, practicing his saber fighting and improving his force knowledge. He's been passing on saber challenges. So uh, one thing that happens here on the Sith Academy on Korriban is there is a challenge ring where basically students can um, earn unofficial brownie points. They essentially have like an unofficial ranking system where they know that this person is better than this person and this person is better than this person. And the goal is cool. to challenge someone better than you so you can move up the ranking. Well, I was going to say, it's basically a place to sort of get aggressions out and also try to clamber on top of each other of who right now is representing the most fighting prowess the most potential exactly so for example they all know you know that maybe who the best student is and so that student wouldn't have to uh say entertain a challenge from someone like bane right but if bane wanted a challenge or someone wanted to challenge bane he can then either accept or deny the challenge and as we said he has been passing on challenges but decides to start accepting to test his skills and does well. Ready to take the next step, he is challenged by Farah. And now, uh, Farah, uh, I think I'm saying that right. I have no idea. Fahara. 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 F-O-H-A-R-G-H. He got me. Fahara. Who is another pupil, another pupil who beat Bane early on when they were originally trying in the fighting ring. Mm -hmm. Now, Bane overpowers him, but Farah outmatches him, basically using his brain to, you know, overcome him. And as he is about to defeat Bane, Bane reaches out with the Force and kills him, turning his back to him and walking him away. Yeah. As Bane heads out of the arena, walking on the steps, Sirik, who is the top apprentice, uh, uh, who is the uh, same, um, uh, he's uh, Zabrak just like uh, Maul, right? Right. Uh, basically says, hey, I'm looking at you now. You know, if you're going to kill another student in the ring like that, then, uh, you know, you might be someone I have to look after. But the thing is, after Bane's defeat of his enemy, he starts to question himself. Mm -hmm. You know, why did he kill that person? He was just frustrated that the person was essentially pushing him. The person was um, essentially rubbing in his victory. And Bane decided that he needed to kill him. And Bane is struggling with this. You know, he, he's wrestling with what he's done. He's summoned to meet Cordus and believes he'll be punished. But as they speak, Bane realizes his actions are seen as strong. And the Masters appreciate what he's done, removing weakness from their, uh, from their ranks. Back to that Darwinian sense of things yeah. the Sith are always about, of the, only the strong should survive. Uh, exceptions can be made for those with great potential as they phrase it, which mm. I really thought was really good writing. Uh, that night, Bane contemplates the dark side in his room, realizing that if the dark side feeds on emotion, then the stronger you get, the less you will be in control. Believing that to be impossible, Bane drifts to sleep. That night, Bane dreams of the night his father dies, realizing, after being beaten, that Bane killed him using the Force. Waking in a sweat, Bane knows he will kill many more with the Force. Mm. And that the strong must thrive over the weak. Now, Bane gets into his training more. He works with the Blade Master, Cassim. Mm. And as they train, Bane struggles to learn new saber patterns. 
Kasim sends him away until he is ready to embrace the dark side, the first time we're hearing about him not willing to embrace it. Bane has been regressing since his duel with Farah, each night dreaming of that or his father's death. He has lost his fire and is unable to call on the dark side. Try as he might, he doesn't understand what has changed and knows the Mm -hmm. other apprentices will soon notice. So we have Bane here, who after a very successful start, firing right out of the gate, is now really, really starting to lose his edge, and people are starting to notice. Now, meanwhile, Lord Khan awaits the arrival of Kopez, who has an urgent matter to discuss. Khan fears that somehow, even though they are winning the war handily, the Jedi will spring a trap. Mm -hmm. Upon Kopez's arrival, he learns that the Jedi have gathered under General Hoth, which I thought was a a nice little legends nod for sure, who is both in charge of the Jedi and, uh, you know, kind of the the head Jedi, the Yoda of the day, you know, if that makes it easier to understand. Yeah. Um, But he isn't the Grandmaster. He's just like, uh, he's like a Mace Windu is actually probably a better way to put it. Okay. Just like militaristically in charge here. Uh, And they have gathered to fight the Brotherhood of Darkness under the banner, the Army of Light. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is that moment where if we were a TV show, I would pause and turn to look at the other camera and there would be that awkward like chirping sound because like, all right, yeah, Legends is great and all, but you can't tell me there aren't things we shouldn't have gotten rid of, like the Army of Light. Come on. Well, that's it, all I'm going to say on the matter. We don't need to beat the but horse. It's the but, per- but, but wait, come on. But come on. But who? <laughs> but, but let's be honest. The Army of Light. Where, where are they? They oppose the Brotherhood of Darkness. I know. Uh, no, Mac, I get it. That's the point. All I'm saying is every time someone comes up to me and says, oh, Legends is so cool. I hate Disney for getting rid of it. I'm just going to say the Army of Light is not the most inspired creative thing I've ever heard. My general thing is just when I go, go, <laughs> Yuzhen Vong. Oh, I thought Yuzhen Vong were cool. Okay, I'm not going to win that argument. The Galaxy Far, Far Away government. What? The Galactic Federation of Free Alliances or whatever they did to <laughs> yeah. try and make rebel alliance and bigger government work because it should just be the Republic. You don't need anything after the Republic. You have the Republic. There's a lot of amazing stuff in Legends. There's a lot of silly stuff, too. It's oh, fun to is. call it out sometimes just and, and because again, of all the haters. As we've discussed, and canon is even... It's marching steadily towards picking up some weird stuff as it goes too. And like, weird stuff is fun. Don't get me wrong. I like weird stuff. But let's just not pretend it's not something that it is. Okay? Let's remember that this is Buck Rogers dressed up for the 21st century. Yeah. It's not it's not the most sophisticated. It can tell great stories, but it is meant to be a little pulpy, a little silly, a little Saturday morning cartoon. It's okay. So, under General Hoth, the Army of Light has taken Rusan. Khan decides he will gather all Sith forces and attempt to wipe them out. So every Sith in the galaxy, uh, except for the students on Korriban, are gathered on Rusan. Kasim comes to Cordis, who tells Kasim about the Army of Light. He also tells him to stop helping Bane if we will not embrace the dark side. Our nef- mm-hmm. next reference to everybody knowing Bane's problem, even Bane knowing his own problem, knowing right. he's struggling to embrace the dark side. But uh, everybody seems to know. No one seems to be able to help him with it. Now, Bane, aware that he is weakening, he knows he must do something before it's too late, so he challenges Sirak. In the ring, Bane is still unable to call on the Force, and Sirak wallops him. 
breaking yeah. bones and knocking him unconscious. Basically beat him within, you know, almost to death. Yeah, yeah. Completely destroys him, breaks his leg, breaks his arm, you know, just really, really brutal stuff. Khan and Kopez discuss strategy at their base camp on Rusan. Khan has a plan to hit their lines, but Kopez is worried without info it won't work. Now, this is another big moment in the book. Gitney, who is a human woman Jedi, comes in, and uh, she reveals that she knows who is in charge of the Jedi's perimeter defense on Rusan, and uh, through her manipulation, they are able to get the Sith through the lines of the Jedi for an ambush. So, we learn that the Jedi have a traitor's in their midst, this yeah. woman, Gitney. Now, Bane back on Korriban wakes up thrashing in a back-to-tank. Surprise, Sirik didn't just finish him off, and Cassim let him lived. He realized that all are too valuable to be thrown away, but Bane is now destined as a follower, living a life of servitude, mm-hmm. essentially believing that he no longer can be a lord of the Sith and will be just another tool in their tool chest mm-hmm. to use to impose their will. So essentially, here we are um, almost halfway through the book, and Bane is on a very different path. Bane is essentially on his own version of a trial here. You know, Bane is um, anytime you have a story of a chosen one or someone who is destined to be uh, great in their respected field or whatever, they have their own trials they have to go through. Mm-hmm. And generally, they are things that are incredibly difficult. And for Bane, one of those things is having power but not being able to use it. Right. And that is sort of the lesson he is learning here. Now, because of Gitney's information, the battle on Rusan has been a success, and the Academy celebrates. Gitney arrives at the Academy as a conqueror, a new favorite of the Lords, an envy of the students in many ways. Yep. Bane took three weeks of healing in the tank. Oh, also, listen, I get it. 2006 is a different time. There's some super sexist and outdated stuff in some of these Legends novels. Well, they're trying to show the past, right? And the past of a more advanced civilization that's Galaxy than us would be the same as we were in 2006. We've changed. We've changed as a people. We've changed with the media that we consume. That's why I'm not saying, like, you know... You're not condemning it. You're just saying it's awkward and it it, it feels older than it is. Yes. This is a chapter where a lot of that stands out. Uh, So it's just something worth pointing out, I think, when we talk about, once again, not everything in Legends is amazing. Well, and the worst thing about Legends is... For that point is when you go back in time, we used to have like the Sith and the Imperials were sexist and bigoted yes. in ways that they really just aren't now. They just aren't like ladies can be stormtroopers. That's yeah. fine. The, the, the Empire has slowly become maybe it's still human first and has <laughs> institutional prejudices. But in general, yeah. like they're an equal opportunity employer. Yes, 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 yes. Even in the Thrawn books, they talk about how it's like. Well, some people like him, some don't, but he's just Thrawn. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. like they do go into some of that, and I like it. So, uh, okay, so we know the battle's been a success because of Gitney. And uh, after Bane, three weeks healing in Bacta, he's now out, slowly trudging his way through the halls alone. In his solitude, with his embarrassment, he takes back to studying in the library, where he decides he will not give up on himself and continue to learn being observed by Gitney from the shadows. She observes him, seeing what Sirek can do to a rival. She moves in, wanting to learn from him, but is still weary of his strength, even though he appears to be a completely defeated man. Yeah. 
As Bane reads books written by Revan, Gitney sits down beside him. Taken by her beauty, Bane can't react. She offers him a deal to reconnect with the Force if he will help her with Sirak. At first, he doesn't believe her, but they meditate and he feels the fire within him until she lets go of his arm. Because this is the first time Bane has been able to touch his internal power mm -hmm. since his defeat to Sirak, he agrees to join her, even though she won't share why she left the Jedi with him. Bane goes to see Kasim at night, asking him to train him in saber combat after hours. Kasim resists at first, but Bane says he wants revenge, convincing him. <laughs> so now we're starting to see the, uh, shall we say, the genesis of Bane. Bane essentially coming back uh, to full form here, trying to fight his way back from essentially the bottom of the totem pole, as it were. And, and working in balance. He's basically got a light side and a dark side teacher again. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Bane trains with Kasim early in the morning, every morning, fighting on top of the roof, in his quarters, in the training arena. And then in the midday, he tr he studies with Gitney in the library, and they spend the rest of their time studying. So basically, even though Bane is no longer training with the rest of the group and the masters because they've all abandoned him, mm -hmm. Gitney is essentially meeting up and teaching him what she has learned directly from the masters. He was able, with Gitney's help, to rip away his block and regain control of his power, continuing to go grow quickly. He still continues to keep up his act of weakness and subservience. Bane trains with Kasim, who praises him for his progress. Bane is pleased with questions why he can't get past the defenses of his master. Oh, wait, sorry. Bane uh, questions why he can't get past the defenses of his master. master. Misspoke with there. All that, with all this extra training, yes. all this skill he's gained, why is he still losing? Yes, he essentially feels he is on par with the Blade Master, but can't break through his defenses. Can't take that final step of actually winning the confrontation. Casim mm -hmm. explains that the double-bladed saber is confusing to most because their kind perceives it as having twice the possibilities. When in reality, if you know the location of one of the blades, you know the location of the other. And I thought this was a really yeah. good bit of writing here. So talk about the opposite of my complaints from earlier. <laughs> I really like a lot of the stuff that comes from this character, Kasim. He's a, a very interesting, he's like a big kind of hulking Twi'lek Sith. And uh, he, he's very much like, he's a little more even-tempered. Like he right. believes in what they're doing and he believes in annihilation and, you know, but he just, he is, a, he's a simpler man than the rest. He doesn't seem like he's pulling as many behind the strings. Not letters. as ambitious, maybe. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, he's, he's really fun to fight. And I thought this was really just really good writing about yeah. the double bladed lightsaber. Um, let's see. Uh, it is harder to use, but has advantages as well. So Bane asks if he should train with other weapons, but Kasim says it's better to focus on your own mastery. This frustrates Bane because he wants to continue to go grow. Mm -hmm. That afternoon, Gitney shows Bane force lightning, and he immediately surpasses what she was capable of. Worried she's losing control of the situation, Gitney uh, decides that she will need to keep Bane at further distance. Now, uh, her and Bane have a moment here where she connects and she essentially reveals that she didn't agree with their Jedi's perspective on emotion. 
She loses control with Bane kind of, you know, pressing a little bit too far, and uh, they end up separating for the night, but having their own, um, what I would call first, emotional connection, as it were, where we're starting to build up to the fact that there may be more of a relationship here, uh, though Gitney, you know, thinks that he is essentially her apprentice, he is starting to reveal that maybe she is more his apprentice. Hmm... So, uh, things are not as they seem, let's put it that way. Fair. Bane continues to fight with Kasim, coming very far in the last month. Both fighting intensely, each session Bane feels closer to beating him while learning more about the double-bladed saber. Mm-hmm. After their fight, Kasim asks why the Darth title is no longer used. And this is something that, when I was reading through the book, even in my notes early on, I was writing... Darth Khan, Darth Kopez, not realizing they weren't actually using Darth. those terms. Yeah. And There's so Lords. this is, yeah. And so this is where they start to explain that the Darth title is no longer used. It's because Khan eliminated it, saying it would unite them against a common enemy. Bane doesn't like this answer and believes he may have to go beyond the masters at the Academy hmm. to gain the knowledge he sinks, seeks. Yeah. In the library, Gitney tries to play him, saying she will face Sirik, believing Bane will assassinate him for her. Instead, he says he intends to face him in the ring, surprising her. As he leaves the study, she knows things are not going the way she expected, mm-hmm. and the next morning the students go through their drills, the whole time Bane focusing on gathering his range. As rain pours down, Bane steps into the circle of the practice ring and issues his challenge to the top apprentice, Sirik. So, Bane has gained his confidence back now. He believes that he is now the strongest student at the Academy, or at least able to challenge the strongest student at the Academy. Well, he's ready for that rematch, rematch that lowered him so by so much. Yeah. But that's a big step, you know, taking on your first opponent back, having be the person who beat you. Mentally, that's a lot to overcome. So, they duel, and Bane notices a mistake early, but decides not to end the fight realizing quickly how far above Sirik he already is in his dueling mastery. Mm. Instead, he draws out the fight and realizes Sirik's weaknesses. Sirik has never had a long fight before, always ending them quickly. So, you know, the clubber laying Mr. T dilemma, as it were. (laughs) Bane waits till he is tired, then breaks his hand and leg, but hesitates when going for the killing blow. Kasim then stops him and praises him to the students before Bane heads down the steps with Gitney catching up at the bottom. Gitney thinks it's a flaw that Bane won't kill Sirik, but Bane believes he is capable when needed. That night, as Bane lays in bed thinking about Gitney, Kasim arrives at his door, giving Bane a gift of his old master's saber, giving Bane his first own personal lightsaber. Mm-hmm. With a slightly bent handle, the new weapon is the next step for Bane. Bane practices for a while, then the next morning has to meet Cordis. Quartus tells him his sessions with Gitney and his time in the archives must end. Bane refuses and argues, deciding to leave the temple mm-hmm. and go search out Sith tombs looking for answers, since Quartus doesn't want him learning about the dead Sith. Essentially, every Sith at the Academy, once again led by Lord Khan and the Brotherhood of Darkness, yeah. believes that the Sith of old were failures. They believe that what they brought to the table, so to speak 
was not accomplishing things the way they needed. They were not having success. They were infighting too much. Well, it was basically two steps forward, one step back continuously. The obsession with self is what they're sort of against, is the idea they never collected their power yes. together to accomplish anything. And Bane is kind of already starting to represent that individualism, that individual exceptionalism, which they're... They still believe in the survival of the fittest and all that kind of stuff, but they don't want it always to be a zero-sum game. They want a brotherhood of darkness, not yes. one Dark Lord of the Sith. Well, that's what Khan believes, and that's what he's trying to convince everybody else of, because the Jedi have more than one, so why shouldn't they? And Cordis is a disciple of that, and, and that's what he's training these students to be. Absolutely. Fully bought in on Khan's philosophy. So, uh... Basically, they all tell Bane, stop looking to the past and be with us, basically, right? Cordis is basically saying, hey, show loyalty to us by giving up what you've been doing and come back to studying with us. Bane basically says, no, you kicked me out. I don't need you anymore. I'm going to find answers outside in the wasteland. Now, Kasim bursts into Cordis's office the next morning, demanding to know what he's done with Bane. Mm -hmm. And Cordis reveals that Bane went to the valley. And while they think he will make uh, it abandoned, they, this, the, that this will make Bane abandon the past, Cassim knows he will survive and return. Right. Now, Gitney approaches Sirik, who is fresh out of the healing chamber, and she admits to him to wanting revenge on Bane for leaving her because she's mad that he didn't tell her he was going out into the wastelands. And they decide to work together to prepare for his return. Now Bane, after a day of walking through the harsh environment, arrives at the tombs. And as he enters, he finds nothing left, as Quartus told him. Lots of empty tombs and rooms pillaged. Bane yells in frustration, having put his faith in the scripts. Back on Rusan, Kopez meets with Khan. Kopez is frazzled, knowing they are losing. He insists that it is time to bring the apprentices from Korriban... And eventually Khan agrees. So even though Khan wants to keep these apprentices safe, knowing that they are the future, knowing that they are, uh, you know, basically doing exactly what he wants, basically yes. creating loyalists. That's right, what he's right, trying right. to do. Create loyalists. They decide that, yes, we do need the apprentices here now. Now, after nearly two weeks in the tombs, Bane, having found nothing, starts his return journey. It takes him three days to get home compared to a day when he first went because he's so weak from no food and no water. He heads straight to the kitchen. That night, Quartus visits Bane to give him a new synthetic crystal and grant him the rank of Lord. Mm. Bane listens to him, but knows they have nothing left to teach him. Meanwhile, Gitney and Sirik plan to make a move before everyone heads out to Rusan. Yeah. That night, Bane is woken up a second time by Gitney. He tells her he realized she was right, and he has nothing left to learn here. She takes him to the archives, where he is attacked by the Zabriks, but gives Bane his saber, and they kill them together. Bane tells her he is fully given to the dark side and has no more hesitation. However, she won't leave the Brotherhood with him. Mm -hmm. Because she won't, Bane goes to Quartus and kicks open his door, asking if he sent Sirak to kill him. Bane mocks him and tells him he is weak, proclaiming it for all to hear. He leaves, and as Kasim tries to stop him on the way out, Bane makes it clear he has finally taken on the title of Darth and is 
taking a different path than the rest of the <laughs> Sith are walking. But what I kind of liked about this for the character itself and what I was not expecting, knowing what I knew about Bane going in, mm-hmm. um, was how open he was about this. Uh, basically, I don't trust your ways. I don't trust your philosophy. He's basically doing what the Jedi did, what Dooku did, and just saying, I don't believe in this. I'm leaving. I'm doing it my own way. You know, you can try and stop me if you want, but it's not going to work. So bye. Bye. Like, that's how I read this. And and I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting him to just lay down such a definitive challenge of I'm better than you. I'm pursu-. It's like an independent study. I'm going off and pursuing my own passions. You guys keep dealing with your playthings over here. Well, it's very much like I don't need your degree. I know what I know. And, and that knowledge is worth more worth more than whatever your stupid loyalist pledges are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So this is the end of part two of the book, Path of Destruction. So, Mac, let's take a moment and refresh here. We've seen now Bane's trials, right? He has gone Mm -hmm. through defeat. He has worked his way back from that. Uh, Like a Saiyan, he is now stronger after nearly (laughs) being killed. And uh, he is sort of ready to make his presence known. You know, he is now off on his own. He has passed his trials, so to speak. Right. Anything to add about the character so far? Well, again, the interesting thing is, again, they're writing interesting backsteps, backslides, because, like, he starts out really strong. And you go, oh, yeah, he's a chosen one. He's going to mop up all these people. And then, no, he gets dismantled, destroyed, and broken. Yeah. And has to rebuild himself up. And the next time he rebuilds himself, he's not as... The petty stuff of the school is not important to him. That's right. That's right. And, you know, as he's going through, he's realizing things that the Sith are doing that he doesn't... uh, agree with besides the Darth title. So, for example, he's continuously looking for an apprentice, and many times he believes Gitney may be that apprentice, but every time she does something that gives him hope or impresses him, she does another thing that makes him realize she is too far uh, gone into the dogma of the Jedi and now the Sith. Right. And so, as we get into part three here of the book, we find ourselves back on Rusan and General Hoth, leader of the Jedi Army of Light, meditating, worried about the incoming Sith reinforcements. Masters Farfalla, who is a flashy, outgoing Jedi, and Pernikar discuss what to do. Hoth is mad that uh, more Jedi won't join their cause, but his advisors say he is too direct. Some believe that his, uh, that his personal vendetta against the Sith is not the way of the Jedi and that the other Jedi won't join him because they believe he's lost his way. And Hoth Mm -hmm. believes that he needs to wipe them out. (laughs) Now, Gitney and the rest of the Brotherhood arrive on Rusan to find a completely depleted army. However, once Khan has reinforcements and his battle meditation going, they're reinvigorated. Now, Bane uh, arrives above a completely different planet, Rakata, a system where Starforge remains from Revan and Malak's battle have been forgotten. Mm. Arriving on the moon, he seeks. Bane feels the force in the air as he disembarks, similar to Korriban, but much stronger and much more prominent. Moment, moments after landing, a Rancor charges out of the woods because it wouldn't be a dark side book without a Rancor. <laughs> Using the force, he calms the beast and searches its mind, finding deep buried in its memories an old temple scary to him Buried in the jungle. Bane hops atop the Rancor and they ride together into the forest. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it is good, but I mean, come on. Like we said. It's silly. 
Bane arrives at the temple, letting the Rancor return to the forest. He makes his way inside, feeling energy different from Korriban, but as he searches, he quickly loses hope. It isn't until he reaches the bottom floor he sees a glowing symbol on a wall, very much uh, a la picking your lightsaber crystal off Ilum in Clone Wars. You know, even though there's a million crystals around you, only one glows once you've oh, uh, one reacts to you, you know hit the D pad in the right order. Uh, as the hole opens and he reaches in, he finds a Sith holocron that, when activated, reveals the Sith Lord Revan. Mm-hmm. For weeks. Bane studies the holocron in the temple, doing nothing, no eating, no drinking, only meditating and studying, learning more than he ever could on Korriban at the Academy. He knows he will now hold the true power of the dark side. On Rusan, Gitni comes to Khan, telling him of a vision of Bane coming to destroy them all. Khan sends her away, telling her not to worry, then goes to see Kasim. Khan tells him he must go to Bane, and if Bane won't join them... He must be destroyed. He must die. So here we finally have the leaders of the Brotherhood starting to turn on Bane because they're finally becoming scared of him and his potential. Right. Now as Bane continues to study from Revan, learning that one Sith must truly rule and apprentices should be one per master so they don't overthrow them. Kasim lands on the Unknown World next to Bane's ship. He follows the path that the Rancor made, running for an hour before he is attacked. He makes short word of the Rancor and keeps right on going. Again, the path of destruction is quite set. (laughs) As Bane meditates, hypothesizing the rule of two, Cassim finds him at the temple. They fight, and Bane is outmatching him, forcing him deeper into the temple. When it seems Bane will win, Cassim separates his double-bladed into two individual sabers and gains the upper hand. Eventually, Bane gets knocked out of the temple, but sends a force blast so powerful at Cassim that it destroys the whole temple around him, crushing him to death. Yes. And Bane destroys the last dark side user who he had any sort of affiliation with, any sort of kinship with, now completely separating himself from his roots at the Academy. Yeah, any respect for... (laughs) Yeah, for sure. If he doesn't respect Cassium, if he doesn't let him live, then uh, it's not going to go so well for the other ones. Bane heads towards his ship on the beach, thinking about his next move. He takes a message drone from Cassium's ship, and before jumping to hyperspace, sends a drone with a peace offering to Khan. Back on Rusan, Hoth and his forces escort supplies back to camp as they are ambushed. Many are killed, including the Master Pernikar. At the last moment, Farfalla swoops in on a swoop and scatters the Sith. Hoth is mad Farfalla took so long to return with reinforcements. Uh, we haven't really talked about this, but the scale of this book does take place over years. Yes. Like this battle on Rusan is happening over many years. It's a campaign. Years. Yeah, there's lots of time that it takes to travel. You know, th- this has a big scale to it. Right. Uh, so, as we said at the last mo- moment, Farfalla returns. Even though he saves the day, Hoth is mad that so many people have died and uh, essentially stands there mourning his dead Jedi friends as the end of the war nears. Bane makes camp on Ambria and wakes for the envoy to arrive. When the buzzard lands, he is relieved to see Gitney, who runs to him and kisses him. Bane can sense the poison on her lips, knowing he can deal with it, keeping up his act. Gitney says things that make him think she can be his apprentice, but he still isn't positive. 
He kisses her again, sending her away, saying he will join the Brotherhood. Gitney mm-hmm. flies away, knowing the second undetectable poison she mixed in will get him soon enough. And she had to make the smart choice to betray Bane instead of the Brotherhood. As Gitney leaves, Bane starts to think about how he can arrive on Rusan after an attempted assassination and decided mm-hmm. that he will pretend to be sinking command while in reality seeking to destroy the Sith. Yeah. After an hour, the effect of the second poison takes effect and Bane starts to realize what is happening. Because he didn't catch it soon enough in his arrogance, he couldn't fend it off. He was now too weak to burn it away, so he headed for his speeder and crashed over a rock. A family finds him, and using his little bit of force energy left, he strikes them down. Using their fear, he is able to gain strength, killing the last son in front of his father, feeding off the father's sorrow before striking him down, using the power to fuel the dark side inside of him, and fend off the poison a little longer. Mm. Back on Rusan, Hoth wrestles with sleeplessness. Then a vision of Pernikar comes to him, telling him that he is still following the light, and if he shows that to Farfalla, they will rejoin his cause. In the morning, Hoth finds an envoy from Farfalla, trusting in the Force. Bane fights onward, sustained for a few hours, but still searching for the rumored healer and a more permanent cure. He's basically traveling across a wasteland planet looking for any signs of life that he can find. And as he travels, he's mad at himself for being weak enough for being tricked with poison. Eventually, he runs into uh, Caleb, the healer. Right. Who eventually, or should say initially, denies Bane. Yeah. As he had all who were involved in the war. He has no emotion and does not, not react to pain. Bane realizes he may lose this battle of wills until he realizes the healer is bearing something else. He goes to his hut and finds a young girl there, which he uses to convince Caleb to heal him. Mm-hmm. It takes over a day, but eventually the poison is gone from him. Bane heads back to his ship, letting the healer live, and plots a course to Rusan. I want to so- say, one little moment I like is... Um- at the end of that passage, there's sort of this reflection on, you know, he threatens the daughter and the Caleb actually heals him. And once he's getting healed, there's a moment where he's ready to kill them, but he decides to spare them. And sort of the thing that they state in his mind is just there was no reason and there was nothing to gain from it. Yes. So he's like, and that was one of the pettiness of the Sith Order, the the the, the just taking pleasure in destruction for its own sake. And he's like, no, no, I have higher purpose than that showing how far this character has come. You know, someone who initially was full of hate and rage, but didn't want to let it out or didn't know how to control it, and then later was afraid of his own power, afraid of his own anger, and now Mm -hmm. fully embracing it, but realizing that he can use it in ways that benefit him, not ways that he's just striking out randomly and unnecessarily. Correct. Now, Bane, arriving on Rusan hides his ship away from both armies. On his way to rendezvous with the Sith, he finds a wounded Sith on a battlefield. When the warrior asks for help, Bane crushes his head, beginning his calling of the Mm -hmm. Sith. Khan gathers all the lords together to try and keep the Brotherhood from falling apart. Kopez is skeptical and criticizes Khan, but Khan is able to gain control and keep the group together. 
As they speak, a shadow falls over the data, uh, the data they are observing, and Bane enters as Khan sees him for the first time. Khan and everyone is shocked. Bane is slightly mocking as a, he asks for a seat after his long travel. As Khan starts to go into a plan, Bane slams the table and gets aggressive, criticizing him for not thinking like a Sith, playing into his uh, illusion or his ruse of trying to fight for leadership among the army of darkness. Mm -hmm. He aggressively whispers to Khan, how did you ever find the guts to poison me? Loud enough so everyone else in the room could hear. Mm -hmm. Khan, shocked, weakened, saying it wasn't him. But Bane chastises him for not being proud of the act. He says, mm -hmm. think like a Sith and don't fight in a forest, but destroy it. Mm -hmm. They prepare for a ritual that Bane is going to show them to destroy the forest. Gitney comes to him with nourishment, saying she will follow him from now on, and so will the Brotherhood after they destroy the Jedi. She knows he is the true Sith now. He thinks there is hope for her still, but not yet positive. Mm. Bane and all the Sith meditate together and generate a lightning storm. Bane channels the power into his body, feeling all the might of the Sith. Hoth feels something is off immediately, and as he exits his tent into the camp, he finds everyone else wondering what they are feeling. As they see the storm approaching, all he shouts is run. The storm rolls through the forest, destroying it. As Bane feels as if he is the center, watching the world burn around him, he's <laughs> suddenly out of it and realizes Khan broke the trance. Khan orders everyone to jump in their flyers and destroy the Jedi, who have fled to open ground. Bane grabs Gitney, but she is excited and doesn't understand what Bane wants her to see. Mm. He decides she is tainted and will die with the rest. As the rest of the Sith sped away to fight the Jedi, Bane knows the first part is complete. When Bane arrives at camp, he finds it deserted. Moments later, a second ship lands behind him and Lord Quartus disembarks. Yeah, Quartus pledges allegiance to Bane to his surprise. Quartus believes Bane is here to take over and he wants to help. Bane asks why he would want the help, and Quartus says many students still look to him for wisdom. That is the problem, Bane says, as he snatches him up in the force. The man pleads for his life, but Bane crushes it out of him. Bane uses Khan's equipment to order the Sith fleet to attack the Jedi fleet in orbit, leaving openings for the Jedi to get their troops down to the planet's surface, breaking through the blockade they've been fighting for months. Hoth and his troops make it out of the forest to be attacked by Sith. However, Hoth knows the odds are against, but he will still try and fight. Khan weaves through the sky looking for Hoth, but he is about to take the shot. Jedi reinforcements arrive thanks to Bane's trickery, and Khan, furious and confused, heads back to camp. General Hoth stands in shock and surprise that Farfalla and his reinforcements were able to get through, and as they ponder the implications of why the Sith broke ranks, they assume the Sith are finally turning on each other correctly. Khan and the survivors arrive back at camp, and they all look to Khan for answers. As Khan goes to the communications tent and finds Bane, who says and admits to ordering the attack to bring the Jedi together in one place. Bane tells Khan he will destroy the Jedi, and Khan uses his mind powers on Bane and convinces him to stay out of sight until Khan destroys the Brotherhood. 
or destroy, sorry, the Army of Light with yeah. the Mind Bomb. Now, the Mind Bomb is something that Bane gave Khan as a peace offering, telling him that he has control over this ritual and that they can use it to defeat the Jedi. Khan, believing he has control over Bane and he will kill him after the Jedi are gone. But when Khan leaves, Bane gives up his act and waits for the Sith to start their doom. Hoth receives reports that the Siths are heading towards the tunnel and cave systems on the planet and decides that he will follow them and try and end the fight before they spring whatever trap they're setting. As the Sith gather in the caves and begin the ritual, Kopez sneaks off, preferring to die in combat than with this madness. Gitni is able to break herself free of the ritual and make her way out of the cave. The Jedi quickly win outside the caves, but a mortally wounded Kopez, a former Jedi, tells Farfalla about the Thought Bomb that they are planning on unleashing. Yeah. As Hoth arrives at the battle to see that it's already over, his relief only lasts a minute until he sees Farfalla running towards him. Hoth asks for volunteers to go into the cave, so he chooses the exper- most experienced 100, knowing that they will not come out. When Hoth reaches the Sith, Khan sees him and happily unleashes the Thought Bomb, turning all of them to ash. Gitney, trying to escape through the tunnels, gets hit with the wave and immediately falls to the ground as ash. Bane feels the explosion back at the camp and starts to head for his ship, contemplating where he will find an apprentice with Gitney gone. The book ends with a young Jedi Padawan, Rain, waking on Rusin. Her transport had been shot down and one of the local bouncers had saved her. Two Jedi emerge and shoot the beast. Rain, furious, snaps their necks with the Force as Bane stumbles upon her, wondering if the Force has served him up with his new apprentice. Hmm. And that concludes the initial story of Darth Bane. Now, there are two more novels that follow this and tell the rest of Bane's story along with his apprentice, and the rest of the history they will go through. But this, for tonight, is a heck of a start into our (laughs) deep dive into Darth Bane. And I'm sure eventually one day we will come back for the next part. Mac, we've talked a lot. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Darth Bane? I know you haven't read this novel personally. What are your thoughts after well, going through it bit by bit here? The, the interesting thing cramming for this and, and studying is like, it's interesting that it overlaps with something I do know. So the end of this, the, the uh, when I looked it up today, it's the seventh battle of Rusan, which is when the thought bomb goes off. I'm very familiar with that part, not only from the research from what we did with Bane, but that is in the novelization of Dark Forces Jedi Knight. Yes. Which is where they sort of first set that up with the plots that go on with Jedi Knight and this essentially holocaust of Sith and Jedi in one fail swoop just being wiped out and the scar that leaves in the Force. Um, So that was interesting. I, I think, like I said, I think the interesting thing about it is how you build up a dark character. I, I'm very curious because I don't know how... you. I don't know he's staying two more books because at this point he's just a monster man. Like semi-justified like in his viewpoints. Yeah. But uncompromisingly evil at this point, you know, embracing it and and, and just soaking in it. And, And the book ends with him taking his first apprentice in this line. And it's like, oh, well, 
this is going to be just about like torturing and breaking this person and warping them into this sick vision of uh, excellence that you have. Absolutely. I'm sure it's going to be brutal. I'm sure she is not going to have a great upbringing. No, I think her childhood is going to have scars too. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it is, it is cool because again, this is sort of one of the only thing that's happening in this period of star Wars. Like yeah. that seventh battle of Rusan has been in like four different things. <laughs> like it's a tale that's been told. It's a legend that's been kicking around since at least like the nineties. Um, and it's just kind of funny that it exists the way it does because it's the only thing that happens at this point is the start of the rule of two. And that's why these books were very popular at their printing was because we were going back and creating the backstory of that. Now, the other funny thing about it is they're going to always live as legends because after rise of Skywalker, we have a very recontextualized idea of the rule of two, that it is not just a philosophy, but it may actually be a, a Sith ritual that passes knowledge from master to apprentice to master to apprentice to master to apprentice. Yeah. Um, which you would think these books would talk about if Bane is the founder of all of that. And Bane also has an awkward thing. If Bane is in canon, he does appear in the yes. lost episodes of Clone Wars, but only as a vision. So we have no idea how much that represents him as a person or, or, or if he's even quote unquote there. It's just that Yoda is aware of Bane and, and marks him as the architect of the rule of two. Um, so he, he's a very fascinating figure in um, Star Wars history. And it makes sense that we want to visit it, but I definitely could see, you know, when, um, when the publishing world moves on from like the high Republic kind of thrust, they might go dip back into sort of almost redoing legends, but in the new current context, I wouldn't be surprised if we get there one day. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we're, between the fact that the High Republic is recanonizing a lot of things, the fact that we're dipping into Rogue Squadron, which is a famous legend series, mm -hmm. and the fact that we're getting things like Knights of the Old Republic remake, it does seem like these things will, you know, I, I really expect Knights of the Old Republic remake to lead into Revan being in canon somehow. Well, and I think the last thing that feels like an inevitability is with all the shows that are starting it, it would make sense to me that after all the shows that we're talking about coming to Star Wars after they sort of get underway I feel that something that's definitely on the table is like a alright well we, now we need an evil show we need a show that follows like a stormtrooper through Imperial training and a life like that and or we need a, a Sith Academy story like we will eventually want a story that is like how Star Wars fans lost their minds in the early 90s with TIE Fighter of what is it like to be on Team Evil um, <laughs> yeah. and just how fascinating that is. Absolutely. Um, I feel like that is an inevitability is to eventually have the dark side view of things being given like this novel front and center. Our villain is our main protagonist. Yes, I mean, we'll see when The Alchemist comes out what that oh, right, actually right, right. is. Uh, that seems like that could potentially be the first thing. And You're right. I mean, there's a lot of potential in Star Wars for characters like this to be recontextualized. So I'm sure it's something that will happen eventually. Uh, I had a lot of fun reading this book for my first time. Yay. You know, I, this was a Legends book that other I than, was late to. Other than the chauvinism, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. There are a few things. I mean, it's a very solid Legends book, but definitely not my favorite. I mean, I've only read maybe half of them, but you know, the, mm-hmm. this one is very good, but certainly not my number one. So if you're someone who uh, read this one and it didn't pull you in as much as you thought, there are plenty of other great Star Wars books out there. Right. So I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, if you haven't read this one and it sounds interesting to you, I guarantee you there was a lot we didn't talk about, a lot of detail, a lot of depth that these characters have that we sort of glossed over. So I highly, highly recommend if this was interesting to you, go ahead and give it a read and then uh, move on to the second one. Yeah, and I think it's very good. Again, remember that legend stories like myths and legends are not necessarily canon, but that doesn't make them any less interesting or fun or things to play with Star Wars, especially dealing with parts that aren't getting like currently paved over by canon, you know, stuff that doesn't really conflict or give you dissonance from what you already might know from current stuff going around in Star Wars. Absolutely. It always makes it easier, in my opinion, when it's just its own standalone thing. Right. And uh, I highly recommend checking it out. All right. Because I think you're going to like it. I think this is a pretty good conversation. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, maybe you'll read on. Let us know what you think, and we're going to move on to something else. All right, the battle of Rasan is over. The rule of two is set. And into the future we go, bravely, where no Sith have gone before. From a long time ago in a galaxy far, far yes, away. Yes, yes, yes. But um, this was an even longer time ago. We had a lot of fun talking about Darth Bane today. This was sort of an impulse topic for us. Uh, it was a good opportunity to talk about a book. It's been a while since we've done that. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to go deep dive on a story. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, a beginning, middle, and end, as it were. It was fun. I liked it. And as we talk about canonicity, I mentioned that like I remember some of this first reading in like the Dark Forces novelizations, uh-huh. which... Again, what a golden age. We had Dark Forces yeah. novelizations. Yeah. Um, but all it made me think of was like, oh, right, Kyle Katarn's only in canon because of like <laughs> a, a board game. Yeah. I want him to be in canon for realsy. Give me next gen Dark Force. They're not making Battlefront 3. Give me Dark Forces again. Dark Forces remake. I, Dude. Just do Dark Forces Trilogy. Just make it all the way through, like, Academy and just... mm, Anything's mm. possible in this day and age of Star Wars, Mac. You're right. We we do live in a much better golden age. I mean, we uh, we've got things like visionaries coming. We've got things like um, he means uh, visions, ooh, by the way. When he visions, says that. I'm sorry. Yes, no, I got gotcha. you. So, st- Star Wars. So now I have two lightsabers pre-ordered because ah. I had the dark saber all ready to go, and they just they're like, hey, um, I can't remember what pundit it was, but it was like, like, hey guys, I saw some renders. It looks like they're gonna make Ray's lightsaber into a black for- black series force effects lightsaber. It's gonna be dropping soon, and it dropped, and I have to be doing nothing. And I'm like, well, I should go pre-order that, and I did pre-order that, and now I'm like, I have two lightsabers I've already pre-ordered. How many can I buy in a year? Yeah. And then you get to get the Galaxy's Edge versions, mm-hmm, and it'll mm-hmm. be beautiful. Ugh. 
wild, wild times. <laughs> I have bought no new lightsabers. Um, have I bought any new Star Wars things in general? Not really. I mean, uh, we talked last oh. week about some new books arrived, the Life Day Treasury, and uh, I was gonna say I, some I just like that. I I just saw that and I was like, what? There's a Life Day Treasury. I'll buy that. I didn't realize you already had it. Like I knew it was very a very recent release. It was at the beginning of the month, right? Yeah, just came. I've had it on pre-order for a while, and it just got delivered recently. So. And I just I and that, that's in, we really like that myth and fables kind big of series. Fans. Big fans. Um, and it's it's the Christmas version. I'm sorry, the non-denominational Ugh. midwinter winter event Ugh. season. You know, there are a lot of you know properties you like. They do they do Halloween celebrations. They do uh, St. Patrick's Day. But for whatever reason. Christmas seems to get the Passover, and so having some Star Wars Christmas... Christmas gets the Passover. There's a charge to that. I don't think you intended. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, so I'm quite a fan of uh, I'm, I'm quite a fan of this Life Day Treasury book. I've only read a few stories, but we will talk about it as part of this year's I holiday did. special, I'm sure. We will. And I will say one other thing is, it's Life Day is, is referencing Christmas. The book is red and green. Yes. Yes, the book is very red and green. Um, which actually, speaking of the spooky season, we also have that coming the end of next month, which is terrifying the Lego. tales, Lego Halloween Star Wars special. Yes, I, I can't wait after the holiday special. Um, I, uh, I I expect it to be a ton of fun, and I think I say, it'll be great. I think it'll be hysterical. It's forming the Halloween trilogy. We've got the Lego Star Wars special, which goes <laughs> nice with Death Troopers and Red Hardest. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have completed the final, um, I mean, just the ultimate marathon for any Star Wars fan who wants uh, gross content. And we got even more coming up, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Undentatons for days. <laughs> but until next Wednesday. Who are you? I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.